Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. All right, it's episode 12, Pain Points of Wealth. You've seen the headlines. We give you the real story. And we've seen some volatility this week, gentlemen, with the election right around the corner. And I think a lot of the questioning comes in, well, maybe Bob and Ryan and Chris weren't that right. You know, They said, stay in during the election. Don't get out. But with this volatility picking up, maybe we've been wrong here, guys. I don't know. Maybe it is time to get to cash, wait this thing out, see what happens. And then when cooler heads prevail, make some investment decisions later. What do you think? First of all, Rai, you know, all these concerns are not certainties, all right? There's a lot of pessimism baked into stocks right now. You've got the stimulus pessimism, you've got election jitters, you even have the possibility of the trade war with China rearing its ugly head. So that's just that noise. That's all baked in. But here's the problem. You know, Chris, every time I've had a client position their portfolio based on a mere possibility, they get out of the market right before it goes up huge. You know what, Dad? It's a really good point. And I've been doing a lot of annual reviews the last few weeks, just doing our annuals with our clients to go over their goals and you know, everything that they want to accomplish with regards to their financial future. And everybody's asking the same question. Should we get out before the election? And these are people that have been our clients for you know, 20, 30 years where we've been saying, look, you got to stay in. You've got to invest towards your goals. And it just goes to show you that you need to constantly remind people and just basically refocus on what's the long-term objective here. I mean, to invest based on an event that you have no idea what the outcome is, I mean, that seems almost insane to me. Yeah, it really does. And I think that it's not just our clients. There was a survey done by one of the major wirehouses the other day, and almost two-thirds of their clients were planning on making strategic changes in their asset allocation or portfolio the week before the election. Well, as we're recording this, it's eight days before the election. And probably when this is released, it'll be after the election. But which is interesting here is we had a big sell-off yesterday in the market. Market was down 2%, quote unquote, big sell-off. But if you look at it, we've really been in the same place now for two months. You know, market has basically traded sideways here. And you know, one of our thesis has been, and one of the things we've said here over and over again, been adamant about it, is your risk here is not being in the market. Your risk is being out of the market. Because what scares me to death, guys, is once the election is over and we have clarity and the market starts focusing on fundamentals again, man, we could have a huge melt-up into the end of the year. And if you're not already in the market, you're out of luck. Yeah, I think that's what we've been doing, right? We've been reminding everybody on a weekly basis that, first of all, this is the early stage of an economic recovery, right? We had a global economic shutdown you know, done by government, something that we've probably never seen before in our lifetime. And now we're in the recovery stage, right? There's trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines, you know, not just uh, individual investors, but hedge fund managers, private equity funds, tons of money to fuel this melt-up that you're talking about. And you know what? The most important person in Washington is not the person that sits in the White House. It's the guy whose picture's sitting on my desk right now. I got to think it's Jay Powell, Bob, keeping interest rates low, doing right by America so we can refinance our mortgages, buy lots of homes, and the one thing we've talked about over and over again is we're in a bona fide housing boom, and that could continue along with the reopening of the economy, which says to me, man, we could be in a gangbuster situation next year with economic growth and reacceleration of growth. 
I just met this guy the other day, and he has a housing company down in Nashville, Tennessee. Guess how many houses they've built so far this year? I'm going to say 1,000, Bob. How about 22,000? So, you know, interest rates are good for individuals who are buying homes, for taking out mortgages. Interest rates are good for businesses. And, you know, Chris, here's something that really caught my attention. You know, we don't like junk bonds, right? We would never put a client a junk bond. But default rates on junk bonds are actually dropping right now. That's a really good point, Dad. And some of the things that your people really aren't paying attention to. So if you think about like everybody's really hot on, you know, the Teslas of the world, but you know, the things that people aren't really talking about are like small caps, which actually are really starting to do really well. They're really starting to break out here. So it's a lot of things, a lot of areas in the market that people aren't paying attention to that are really starting to improve and nobody's talking about it. Now, I think a lot of people don't even realize that China, you know, made a new high last week. I mean, where everybody's focused on the S&P 500, I think that they're seeing a recovery happen around the world and it's really about diversification right now. There's opportunities based on valuation in lots of places in your portfolio right now. Well, we just talked about liquidity and I saw a stat recently that money managers have like 2.6 trillion dollars just sitting in cash right now. So think about these money managers right now sweating every day because the market's gone up and up and up over the course of the second half of the year here. And they've been sitting on all this cash, earning nothing, hoping and praying that the market's going to sell off big. And meanwhile, they're underperforming for the year. So I think you know what you have to think about here is, do you want to be on the same side of the page as these money managers, sweating it out, being wrong for so long, and thinking that when the market sells off like it did the other day, that that's a signal that we should stay in cash, that's the wrong attitude. What you have to start thinking here is, man, if I'm sitting on cash right now, any dip the market gives us, use that as a gift from the gods. Like you just said, Chris, like small cap stocks, guys, next year, their earnings are estimated to go up 180%. That's an insane number. <laughs> so everything's telling you right now, earnings this season, we're in the middle of Q3 earnings. They've just killed it. 80% of companies have beat their estimates, and not by a, a little bit, guys, by over 17%. They're blowing earnings away, and it's just teeing it up for next year to be just a phenomenal year, not only for economic growth, but for earnings as well, which drive stocks. It's like, what else do you have to see here? Yeah, that's a good point, Ryan. I feel like this is something that we hear time and time again, where the smart money, we'll call it, is sitting on a ton of cash, waiting for this opportunity. We saw it back in 2009. We saw it as recently as March where they're sitting on a ton of cash. And by the time the market's gone back up, they've missed their window. Yeah, but you know, the headlines almost every day is about the COVID virus. And you know, I think and I believe the consumers know what they need to do here. You know, you're seeing the spike in cases go up, but they also realize that we're not going to have another shutdown. There's a possibility of a shutdown, but I think, you know, most people are going to resist that. And the economy's not going to react the same way. And they're not going to get the surprise like we had. And I think that's the big thing, guys. You know, we always talk about how concerns are not certainties. And, you know, the big question I have for everybody who's listening to this right now is why are there unexpected moves in the market? I know the answer, Bob. <laughs> Right. They're unexpected. Exactly. Right. So, you know, if you're thinking about all these negatives that we talk about, there's no surprise power left in that, right? It's unlikely that any of these reasons are going to cause a new bear market. Meanwhile, you know, once there is a little certainty, like after the election, where's all that money going to go, guys? I think that's $2.6 trillion worth of cash is somehow, Bob, some way. I know it sounds crazy. Is going to find its way back in the stock market and it's going to bid it up to much higher levels than when we're recording this. I think what's going to be interesting is like, you know, I can't wait to hear this podcast after the fact because by then we're going to have our third quarter gross domestic product 
number announced. And they're talking about numbers in the 30% area, something that we've never seen before, like maybe a record GDP number, an all-time record in history. Yeah. And the other thing too is when you start looking at the American household, you know, between the real estate boom, the value of your house has probably gone up tremendously unless you're in New York City, unfortunately, where I am. And because stocks are at an all-time high, your stock portfolio is at an all-time high as well. And whenever you have an all-time high in net worths of Americans, Typically, it's followed by growth in the economy because you start feeling good. You know, maybe you got your job back. In fact, wages are actually up year over year for those that are still working. So by summertime, you get all this pent up demand from all this cash sitting on the sidelines. And if things continue to get better, there's going to be a lot of money spent and added to the economy that we're not even factoring in yet, which again, just bodes up, tees up next year being a very, very good year. That's why you want to invest in next year today. And the thing you always have to remember too, Rai, is especially with a lot of my clients, like as I mentioned before, we're doing a lot of annual reviews right now. You know, the one thing that people definitely underestimate, and I know I harp on this a lot, is the income that the portfolio generates. So just the money that comes out of interest and dividends. And looking at our clients' returns, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, believe it or not, the majority of their returns actually have come from interest and dividends. So, you know, even in a declining market, you're still getting that money. That money's still coming into the portfolio. You're essentially making money every single day. That's true, Chris. I mean, half your return comes from interest and dividends and it's, you know, reinvesting and compounding that money that creates the wealth in this country. But I think one thing that always blows my mind is you go back over 50 years and if you just miss the five best days in that 50 year period, you end up with almost a 30% less return. So, you know, timing the market's ridiculous. Trying to game the market based on your fears or you know, the fears created by the media always ends in tears. The key is to stay invested and make sure you're diversified so that if we do get a big drop in the market, you have bonds to sell to take advantage of it, just like you did last April. The history does repeat itself, doesn't repeat itself exactly, but it often rhymes. You got to be prepared to take advantage of that rhythm. To sum it up, Bob, the pain view is still right. Stay invested, ignore the noise, and create a lot of wealth long term. All right, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And guys, you know, when it comes to making decisions on your financial plan, sometimes it's more beneficial to defer action and other times it's critical to address something right away. So I thought we could discuss some different financial matters and decide if it's good or bad to put them off. And you know, one thing is if you're saving in your retirement accounts, your 401ks, 403Bs, you know, whatever your plan is at work or your self-employed plan, you're deferring taxes, right? You're putting money in pre-tax, you're deferring taxes. The problem is eventually when you're 72, you have to start taking it out and it becomes what we call a ticking tax time bomb. That's right, Rye. Actually, one of our accountant friends down in Florida, a little shout out to our friend, The Godfather, sometimes calls those RMDs, those required minimum distributions, potential WMDs when it comes to having to take money out at age 72, because that additional income could potentially push you into a much higher bracket, making a very tax inefficient portfolio. Well, you know, guys, maybe we'll have a COVID pandemic every year where we'll be able to defer taking that RMD like we did this year. That was a very nice gift on the part of the federal government. Of course, that's not going to happen. But nonetheless, you know, it, it shouldn't discourage anyone you know, from taking advantage of tax deferral by investing in these retirement vehicles. Yeah. And there's two ways to look at this. So if you're working right now, you can do a pre-tax contribution into your retirement plan, or maybe you're in a lower tax bracket this year. If you're a younger investor, you might want to look at that Roth 401k option where it's after tax. Maybe you don't need that deduction today. And the beauty of that is all that growth on the money in a Roth 401k or some sort of Roth account, all that growth you take out tax-free later. 
and you don't have as much of what we call that ticking time bomb. So when you hit 72, you don't have that ticking tax time bomb, but you have a lot of tax-free income once you hit what we call financial independence. I think the critical issue is making sure that whatever age you're at, that you have a plan for retirement, that you're doing everything you can to take advantage of whatever tax shelter you know the IRS affords you or saving money at an early age. You don't want to be in a position where you're 65 going, oh boy, I should have saved more. Yeah, that's a good point, Dad. I mean, how do you get yourself into a position where you can plan for these things? And I think you know one of the most important things is to make sure that your financial teams talks to each other. Like it's very important for your advisor to be having these conversations with your accountant, so we can make good recommendations on you know whether it's better to put money away pre-tax or whether it's better to put money in Roth or a combination of both. Hey, one thing I can guarantee you, Chris, we have an election coming up, and it's going to be a change in the tax laws. There's always a change in the tax laws, so you need someone. You know, who's looking at these things at all times to give you advice on all these changes? Because, you know, whatever you think today is going to be different four years from now. That's why we're still employed, Bob. <laughs> but that's another story altogether. The important thing here is, guys, you need to have your financial dream team. You know, everybody needs that. You know, you don't just want to have a great financial advisor like us. You know, you want to have a great tax advisor who works with your financial advisor. And that's what I love about our practice is we have just, you know, a whole list of professionals we work with on the estate planning side, on the tax side, and we all work together. When you have a team like that, you're hitting it from every single angle, then you are making better decisions about like, do I defer taxes? Do I do a Roth, a regular 401k? Which brings me to another financial matter you want to address right now is all debt bad. Do you need to get rid of it? Do you keep debt outstanding? The reason I say that right now, guys, because the 30-year mortgage rate is at 2.8% right now. It's never been that cheap in history. Hey, first of all, Rye, how many banks have called you in your lifetime to let you know you could refinance any debt at a lower rate? They never call, Bob. They never call. They're happy to lend money to you at a higher rate. That's why you need to be proactive about it, not reactive about it. And aren't you finding the same thing, Chris? I mean, I, every time I sit down with a client, we do an annual review, we look at any debt they may have, like mortgage debt, for example. And, you know, we'll call a bank, and not every bank offers the same rate. You know, banks are like stores, you know, and money's the product that sits on their shelf. And sometimes banks have sales, and sometimes banks mark things up because they're so flush, they don't care. So you got to be really careful. You know, it's managing any expense, you know, especially expense on debt. So first of all, I think having no debt is the greatest thing. But isn't there some good debt, Chris, versus bad? Yeah, absolutely, Dad. I mean, especially right now where you've got mortgage rates at record lows, if you have a higher mortgage, you know, it makes more sense probably to refinance. You're basically saving money on interest. And if you look at it from the perspective of your portfolio, if you can borrow at two and a half, two point six percent and your portfolio generates an average of five percent, well, it certainly makes sense to hold some debt in that case. But on the other side of that coin, if you have debt that's essentially running your life, which is, you know, like credit card debt where they're charging rates in excess of 14, 15%, well, that ends up running you because you end up paying more in interest over time and you never get yourself out of that hole. Yeah, that's a great point, Chris. And we, you and I worked on a case recently where a client basically has enough money in their portfolio. They're looking to buy a place down in Florida. It's going to cost them a half million bucks. They could easily take the money from their portfolio. Not a problem. They've saved for it. But you and I did the analysis. It's like they can borrow at 2.5% right now on a 15-year mortgage and their portfolio pays 3.5% in interest. So it's like if the income generated on your portfolio is higher than what you're borrowing at, why in the world wouldn't you take advantage of the fact that you have cheap borrowing costs you can use right now? But to Bob's point, sometimes it's just like you don't like debt. I get it. You want to have your portfolio to a place where you don't have to worry about having a monthly payment every month. That should also be part of the conversation. But from a mathematical perspective, that's a great arbitrage 
earning more than you're borrowing at. Another thing that I often talk to my clients about at every annual review is whether their wills and estate documents are up to date. So their wills, their powers of attorney, living will, medical power of attorney. And believe it or not, most people actually don't have a will. Yeah. Or they did it 15, 20 years ago, and they still have that in-law as their trustee that they don't like. So if God forbid something happens to them, that in-law that they don't like now controls their finances. <laughs> so you need to get that updated immediately, Bob, would be my thoughts on that. Well, you know, first of all, I'm finding that most of my clients are baby boomers retired because I've been doing this for 45 years. And I'm telling you, very few cases have they not addressed their estate. You know, they don't have wills. They're all set up and their beneficiaries are correct. The biggest culprit I see is their children. You know, now the millennials are having children and they have two or three children already and they still don't have a will. I have people on my list of my clients' children I call every year saying, where's the will? I need a copy. It's not in the vault. Yeah, Bob, and in addition to that, talking about not even having a will, and then what about insurance, right? You can buy a cheap term policy, especially if you have young kids, you have tuitions you're going to have to pay, you have a mortgage. There's no more important time than when you have a young family than having a lot of insurance. And if you can get it cheap through a term policy, then that's got to be part of that estate plan too, because God forbid something happens to you, you need to be able to take care of your family and you have to make sure that all the right documents are in place. Well, you know, the other thing is that you look at the beneficiaries on all these different accounts, it's not unusual. I mean, we had someone in last week, they had 12 accounts at different custodians, seven of them were former 401ks or IRAs that they never consolidated, and they had different beneficiaries. And two of the accounts had no beneficiary. So I don't know if you think the state should take all your money when you die. I think it might be a good idea to at least give it to your children or maybe a charity. Not to mention, you know, setting these things up is, I mean, it may not necessarily benefit you, but it's certainly going to benefit your heirs, you know, especially in a time that they're grieving. You want to make it as easy for them as possible and make the process as painless as possible by having very specific legal documents. Well, you know, the perfect estate plan, everybody, is to spend all your money till the day you die and then have the last check you write after you're dead bounce and that check should be to the IRS. Other than that, if you can't plan it that perfectly, you need to sit down and get a will. Make sure you have your powers of attorney, powers of health care. Make sure that all your beneficiaries are correct. You don't want to have any regrets late in life. Well, it sounds like Ryan should not count on any inheritance in his financial plan. Bob, Chris, and I now have spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence on your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on track to achieving financial independence. So simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, as Americans have gotten older and wealthier, wealth transfers have surged from $195 billion in 1989 to $427 billion in 2016. 
transferring wealth is heating up again because under the potential Biden tax plan, a couple would pay $5.9 million in taxes on a $20 million gift as opposed to $0 today. Bob, it's time to get those assets out of your account and over to Chris and I. I think that's a great idea, right? You guys are the gift to keep on taking. I never forget that. But when you look at estate taxes, I mean, estate tax planning is very complicated because Washington keeps changing the rules every four to eight years. Now, just because Biden proposed it doesn't mean it's going to happen. First, he's got to get elected. Secondly, he's got to have a Congress that's going to agree with him and maybe a couple of years before anything happens like this. But just be aware. And that's why it's always good to have a financial quarterback who can pay attention to these issues to make sure you take action before these new laws take effect. All right, Chris, the inflow of global funds into mainland China this year has topped $26 billion. Participating in Chinese pensions and insurance markets are continuing to become important for US financial firms. Chris, I guess despite all that trade war talk, it sounds like we're doing more investing in China, not less. Well, you know what, Ry? I think when you've got one of the world's largest populations with the ability to invest in basically anything they want, I can't see a situation where that would ever be bad for the markets. In fact, I think that's really a phenomenal statistic. I think China's growth is good for everybody, no matter what they tell you. Bob, Macy said this past week that Santa Claus will not sit with children at any of its stores this year, the first time in 159 years. That's why I can't wait for COVID to be over with, Rye, because there's people who are unemployed. Santa Claus is unemployed this year because of COVID and they'll be coming back. But I spoke to a client the other day and he said, you know, I'm so concerned about this pandemic because we've never in history had to deal with something like this. And the fact of the matter is we have. We had the Spanish flu. 1918, 1919, 1920. Last I checked, guys, there's not a vaccine for the Spanish flu. How did our economy recover? How did the world recover from the Spanish flu? I don't really know. Maybe there was herd immunity, but we do know the economy recovered that we have been here before. And last I checked, the 1918 Spanish flu was followed by the Roaring Twenties, one of the greatest economies in the history of the planet. So what we're saying is next year, Chris should be able to sit on Santa's lap again. So that's good news for everybody. New home sales are now at their highest level, Chris, since 2006. We've got a bona fide housing boom going on. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, every time I talk to a client at doing an annual review, there's always some kind of mention of purchasing a second home or looking to refinance a home or help a kid buy a home. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. I actually had one client who was thinking about selling his house. He mentioned it to a neighbor. And literally two days later, before he even had a chance to put it on the market, someone offered them over $800,000 for their place. And I remind you guys, we didn't have this housing boom at the beginning of the year. Now we have a housing boom and the economy's reopening. Man, oh man, hard not to be bullish here. Well, you know what, Ry, there's another negative, right? I get a call the other day and he said, Bob, this is just like the real estate bubble back in 2006, 2007. I said, hardly. Before you could get a mortgage with no money down. Now you have to put 20 to 30% down. Even my client who wanted to refinance the other day, who's got a lot of money, my goodness, you know, you would think that he was applying for the secret service, you know, the amount of documentation you have to provide. So it's so interesting that our last financial crisis was caused by a housing bubble. And now in the early stages of this recovery, right, housing's leading the way. The biggest problem right now is a shortage of houses and a shortage of people to build them. Which is completely the opposite of 2008 and 2009, where they just built way too much inventory. Crazy. All right, Chris, consumers drink 2 billion servings of Coke products daily. 
Wow. The sugar water is available at 30 million retail outlets and supplied through 225 bottling partners around the world. Well, there's nothing more American than a nice cold Coca-Cola, but you know, as mom is a total fitness nut ride, we never had that in our fridge when we were growing up. So we're definitely not participating in that. That's true, Chris. That's true. It would be 2 billion and 5 people, but because of mom, it's just 2 billion people enjoying their Coke every day. Okay, Bob, a basket of 35 stocks that tracks companies like airlines and hotels who would definitely benefit from a full reopening of the economy have trailed the S&P 500 index by about 50% this year. Wow. Yeah, wow. That is a big number, right? But you know, first of all, in the last couple of months, no one wanted to fly. No one wanted to go to hotels. But every review I do this year, all my clients are on budget. I mean, it's wonderful. People aren't spending money like they usually do. So they're on budget, but now there's this pent-up demand. And I can tell you, as soon as people feel comfortable, and I think it's already happening. It's already considered safe to fly again. Airlines are starting to pick up. Luxury hotels, I think, will be next because you know the wealthier will be out there spending. And then I think we'll see, you know, once there's a vaccine or therapeutic that's recognized and pretty well distributed, these industries are going to come booming back. I mean, they're going to come back really fast and hard as we've seen every other part of the economy have a V-shaped recovery. It's coming for airlines and hotels. Can't give you the date, but it's coming. Yeah, guys. I mean, look, bottom line is there's plenty of opportunity to buy stocks out there. Not everything's in tech right now and not every market's up this year. Another reason to be diversified, keep an open mind and stay loose. Another great episode of Pain Points of Wealth. Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.